The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We're about to finish the book of James. We've got one more little section after this. And uh, so if you'll turn to James chapter 5, this is such a practical book. He is talking to the church, all churches, and he is telling us some really important things. The passage we're looking at today answers the question, why must our church be a house of prayer? Uh, Most of you remember in Luke 19, when you remember this passage, maybe you don't know the address, but in Luke 19.45, it says, Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. These people who were selling animals for sacrifices were in it for the profit. They were, you know, in the United States right now, if you go buy a car off a used car lot, you have to pay to have it smogged, which means to check and make sure it's not polluting the air. But the, but the dealer makes a profit. These people made a profit, and the way they made the profit was they had a deal with the leaders of the, of the temple, and so they, they had to approve of this animal to be worthy to sacrifice in the temple. And so it's kind of like having a smog check on your used car when you bought it. Um, but they were, making, they were making a profit. They cared nothing about the whole purpose of bringing an offering before the Lord and offering it up in the, uh, as, as an act of worship. And then he, this is what Jesus said. The scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So he's actually calling these used animal dealers as uh, thieves. And it was because it was defiling the temple by their actions. Uh, In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the first identification of the people of God in the Bible. They are those who call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, In fact, Jim Simple, in one of his little books about prayer, he says, God's people are first called those who call upon the name of the Lord. That's who we are. In fact, there are two passages in Scripture that tell us that it's one of the most important things we do as the people of God when we gather together. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, the end of all things is drawn near. In other words, Christ has come, he's paid for our sins, he's been raised from the dead, he ascended to the Father, and he poured out the Spirit. And he says, now this is what you should do, living in this time after the, the ascension of Christ and the pouring out of the Spirit. Be sober and alert for the purpose of prayers. The word prayer in the plural in the New Testament always indicates seasons of prayer or meetings for prayer. Some of you go to a prayer meeting in in this uh, church. Uh, I know Nancy has a prayer meeting at her house. And uh, you go there and you pray together and you bring these needs up and you call out to God what you desire him to do. The word for uh, prayer in the New Testament, prosukamai, means to boldly appeal for help from the Lord an appeal for that which you wish or long for. Um, And those things that are really on your heart is what you call out to God and pray for. Well, you have to understand that we, uh, we are people who have God in saving us, injected into us individually and corporately 
what you could call the spiritual DNA of prayer. We have been born again to pray, and we are to gather together to pray. We're to pray together. And that's, that's a hard one. You know, we're supposed to, when we make disciples, he said, to baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. Well, if you remember, Jesus taught his disciples to pray because they asked him, how should we pray? And so he gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer, which was really the disciples' prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's King James, I know. Um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's telling them, this is, this is the things you should pray about. We need to gather together as the people of God and to pray for these things. Uh, prayer is, is the center of a vital relationship with God. I actually heard, uh, I just happened to be, as I was leaving, uh, Charles Stanley came on, and he was uh, preaching. His sermon was about the seven characteristics of a growing Christian. And guess what the first characteristic was? He said the first characteristic is prayer. We speak to God because we listen to him, we hear his word, and then we speak to him, he hears us, he listens to us. That's a characteristic of a believer, but it's also the characteristic of a local church. We are together as a people of God, and one of the things that we have come together for is to pray, to call out to the Lord and ask him to hear us as we offer up prayers for people. This past week, um, I heard so many stories, people talking to me about things that were going on in other people's lives, and uh, I, this one family, you know the Bill and Arlene Adkins, and they have a son, their youngest son, his name is Richard, I couldn't remember his first name because everybody calls him Buddy, and he has muscular dystrophy, and this past week, they have been running him around the Bay Area trying to find a doctor who could deal with a bed sore that he has, that they were really afraid that some infection had got into the bone. And he's still in the hospital today, but the really good news is that they found no infection, and so they're trying to figure out how to treat this condition. And uh, I think we should pray for Buddy. I think it should be every time believers get together, they should pray for certain things. And pray for this. I can remember when he was just a little bitty boy, and his mother thought there was something wrong, but his dad didn't want that to be true. And so he always would let you know he didn't think so. He didn't think there was any problem. But now, I don't know how old Buddy is. Anybody know? Is he over 20? Yeah, and he, uh, and so whenever he talks to you, he repeats himself over and over again. His dad will say, you remember Pastor Frank? He goes, Pastor Frank? Pastor Frank? You're Pastor Frank? <laughs> and uh, what, a, what an assignment. Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, has the assignment of raising a boy with severe disabilities. He can't talk. He can't walk. And he's 19 years old. And uh, I still remember the day she came to me after he was born. We didn't know anything was wrong with him. My wife thought there was something wrong. I didn't see anything, but when she found out that he had this condition, it's called polymicrogyria, which you've never heard of, but it's a very rare condition, but it's left him in this condition, and, and he'll never talk to us. He can't speak words. The only thing he knows how to do is to be loved. That's it. And he's in a real loving family, and they show him love all the time. 
And it's really quite a testimony to the grace of God. But she asked me, she says, Dad, what if he never gets to the place where he can understand the gospel? And I quoted John MacArthur, straight to heaven when he dies. <laughs> That's what he said. And I believe that because the, the judgment, the, the white throne judgment is the judgment of works, we're told in Romans chapter 1 and 2. And he doesn't know how to respond to God. He can't even understand words that you speak to him. And I believe God's going to bring him home and heal him. It's like Frank, when he went to be with the Lord the other night, for the first time in a long time, he was well and he was whole. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he's the one who's rejoicing right now. And some of us are, are grieving over it, but he's rejoicing in the presence of Christ. He's finally with the one he's talked about for so many years. But this, this passage reminds us of something, that a church is a house of prayer. That's the design of it. We're told that when we come together, for example, in Jude, it says, uh, keep yourselves in the love of God. And you ask, how? And he mentions three things. By building one another up in the most holy faith, that is, you talk to each other about the faith, about Christ, who Christ is, and what Christ has done for us. So building yourself up in the most holy faith. Secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, praying in the Holy Spirit can't be, it can't just mean praying in tongues. I know a lot of people believe that. Uh, that's, it can't be that because not everyone speaks in tongues, but every believer prays. And he understands what you're saying. He understands your heart. And so we have, been, we have been brought together that we would be a house of prayer, that we would pray for people. And that's what this passage is all about. Let me read it to you first in, in uh, James chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? And the idea there is in trouble. Is anyone of you suffering or so weakened that you can't function normally? Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He's talking to the church. Is anyone among you sick? And this is a word that means, asthenao means weakened. Weakened to the point that you can't function, you can't pray, you can't, you can't live a normal life because you're in a, a weakened state because of sickness. He says, anyone in that condition, then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the, the one who is weakened, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. That sounds strange to us. God brings sickness on people because they sin. I'd never be well, would you? But you see, the Bible does say there are times when God uses sickness to drive us to him, to make us feel so weakened and so unable and so alone that we need God desperately. And so we flee to him and we pray. And he says, if, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Um, God can raise a man up and forgive his sins. Isn't that amazing? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Well, I want you to look at, at these things we're told. 
Uh, I, first, I, wanna, I just want to go to something you're already aware of, but this is what 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, that is, the church is one body, but it's made up of many different uh, members. There's diversity and there's unity. And he says, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. That when he says that, he's talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We are all in Christ. And then he says in verse 13, explaining the fact that we are one body, he says, this is how we became one body. For in one spirit, now your translation may say for by one spirit, but the best way to translate this in this context, because the word is in and that's how you pronounce it, in, and it can mean in, by, or with. But the context determines what it means. And in this context, he's saying, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. What he's talking about is when we were placed in the spirit, as Romans 8, Romans 8 talks about, and this is a whole new atmosphere which we live in, we live in the spirit. When, he, when we were placed into the, the spirit, which is our new uh, culture in the spirit, he says, it, God baptized us in the Spirit, and we were formed into the body of Christ because we're in the Spirit. Every single member of the body of Christ is one with every other member. This is why we pray for each other, because we actually care about each other. I was going to the hospital the other night to see my grandson. He, was, he had gotten a real high fever, and he usually would have a seizure when he gets high fever. So they took him to the hospital. And so I decided to run over and see him, and so I'm on the way there. And I just became overwhelmed with emotions because every time he gets sick, I get to pleading with God to heal him, not of the sickness, but of his condition, that he would restore him, make him whole. And so I'm just riding down the street, bawling my eyes out. <laughs> and, uh, and then I kind of gathered myself, and I didn't look around to see if anybody was seeing what was going on. What I love about, uh, you know, the phone in your car that comes through the, is that you can be talking away and people just think you're talking to somebody on the phone. They don't know you're praying. Now, they may think, boy, that looks like an emotional uh, conversation. But anyway, as I'm praying for him and I'm thinking about how desperately he needs the hand and touch of God, and uh, I don't know if he's ever going to be whole. I know he's well-loved and well-cared for, and I know that God loves him. And so I keep praying. And the reason I do that is uh, a few years ago, we had a lady in our church giving birth to a baby. I think it was her fifth child, or fourth or fifth child. And uh, she was in her late 30s. And uh, at our house fellowship, we got a call. And I went and talked to him, and he's, uh, the husband who was there at the hospital with her, and he said, things have really gone bad. We don't know what's going to happen. This was Vina Flesher. Some of you remember her. He said... Uh, the doctors tell me there's no hope because they can't stop the bleeding. She just continually is hemorrhaging. And so I said to him, well, I'll be right there, and I'll have our Bible study being praying for you as I go. So I left and went to the hospital and got down there, and uh, he basically they told him there's nothing we can do. We've tried everything. We're continuing to give her more blood. When I drove up to the hospital, there was a highway patrol car bringing in more blood because they were going all over the Bay Area to find blood to keep her alive. So I sat down with him, and we started talking. And he said, I just can't understand why God would allow this. And uh, 
So we started praying right there in a the little lobby. It was a very small little place. And the nurse came over and said, you know, and some other, oh, my Bible study all came in, and then other people came in. And so the nurse said, you know, we'd like you to go. We have a room we'll let you go use and do whatever you want to do. I didn't know what she thought we were going to do, but she said, you, you go down there and you can have that because this is going to be so crowded in here. So we go down to this room. We begin to pray. Best prayer meeting I've ever been in my life because we were all united in prayer. We're praying that God would spare her life. And uh, the reason I'm mentioning this is I got a, uh, I was digging through by the folder on prayer, and I found this little story written by Sandia Flesher. She was at that time maybe, I don't think she was a teenager yet. But she tells a story of how God healed her mother and let her give birth to her youngest brother. I just saw him a few months ago, and he's in high school. So this was a while back. And uh, she said, she tells a whole story of what happened when the phone call came and, and her dad said, things aren't going well. Is the baby okay? He said, oh, the baby's fine, but y- your mother is not doing well because he's trying to ease the, the pain that's going to come because he thinks she is going to die. And so all, a bunch of us, probably 50 of us, went into this room and we began to pray for her and call on the name of the Lord. That was a prayer meeting. That was what uh, Jude was talking about. In Jude, when he says, uh, building one another up in your most holy faith and praying together in the Holy Spirit, which means praying in the power of the Spirit and based upon what the Spirit has revealed to us through the Word of God. That we had one person we could appeal to, and that was the living God. And so we began to appeal to him and pray. And in a few minutes, a nurse came in, and said, I don't know what you're doing, but things are getting better. Keep, keep it up. And so she leaves, and she, uh, she leaves, and then about 15 minutes later, a doctor comes in. And he says, I don't know how to explain this, but it, the bleeding stopped, and she's fine. She's going to be okay. We knew why. And he says, I don't know what you did, but it worked. Well, it was God that did it. And so Sandy is writing this story, and she says, that's, that's how my brother got his name. His name was Justin Prayog. Prayog was the grandfather's name, was, was Vina's father's name. And, and Vina's father had disowned her because she married an Indian. He, he arranged a wedding. She married an Indian man who had come to the United States, and he came back and married her. And he was much, much older than her. He brought her back to the United States. And then things didn't go well, and they split up. And then she meets Steve Flesher, and he talks to her about the Lord. He evangelizes this woman, and she came to faith in Christ, so he married her. <laughs> I guess that's, uh, what is that, courtship evangelism or something? But anyway, this was like their fifth child, and her father wouldn't speak to her. And so they named him uh, Justin Prayog which was after the grandfather, and Steve says, I'm going to call him Just Pray. And, and that's what Vina, I mean, uh, Sandia wrote in that little story she wrote. Just pray. God does marvelous things when we pray. He changes our lives. He changes circumstances. He heals the sick. He, uh, he does supernatural things. I can't do anything supernatural at all. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was mentioning some person, and I couldn't think of their name. 
I was so frustrated because, you know, when you're 20 and you forget somebody's name, nobody is nervous. But when you're my age and you can't remember somebody's name, they go, here it comes. I can't even remember good things. I, you know, I might forget your name. It's like Nancy did one day. I said to her, hello, young lady. And she says, you forgot my name, didn't you? <laughs> well, I can't do anything, but I have a savior. I have a, a one that I, is the king of the kingdom of God that I can rely upon. And he can do whatever he desires. And his desires are a manifestation of his character. So what he does is always a manifestation of grace. And uh, so this is why we, we pray. And so in verse 13, so we gather together to pray in times of hardship. In verse 13a, the first part of verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. The second way that we gather together to pray is we gather together to pray in times of happiness. It's interesting, the word that he uses here, it means to sing praises. It means to sing psalms. The, this, the word even sounds like psalms. It's seleto. We are to sing praises when we're happy. Because guess who it was that worked in your life to bring you happiness? It was the living God. That's who he is. He's a God who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And so when we, are, when we are blessed, when we are having a time of happiness, we're to pray, we're to gather together and sing praises and to express that singing there is a type of prayer. We are to pray biblically and we are to pray based upon what the word of God says. And so we can, we can praise him. We can even sing praises to him. My grandmother, on my mother's side, my mother's mother, she was a believer since she was really young, and uh, she's in heaven now, but she lived with us for about a year. I never, ever remember any time when she wasn't speaking to us about Jesus that she wasn't singing about him. A lot of times I think, man, alive. How can you do that? How can you sing for so long and so many songs? She knew every song in the hymn book, I bet. But she loved to praise God. Because really, the fact is, I can even praise him when things are bad, when things are gloomy, or when things are wonderful. We can sing praises to him. And then he tells us that we should pray in times of helplessness. Help, I say helplessness because this is that word that's asthenio, which means when you're you're so weakened that you can't function normally. I hadn't seen Frank Williams for quite a few years. And when I went to see him the first time, this was a couple, few years back, and he was experiencing depression. And I was, always under the, I was always under the impression that if somebody was suffering depression, it was because they weren't trusting God. And I thought I could talk him out of his depression. I was sure I could. And I talked and talked and talked and talked. And you know what it did to him? It made him more depressed. <laughs> And I realized this was, this was something that he needed to be delivered from in the power of Christ. It's something that uh, you, there's no simple solution to it. And it feels like something from the outside just pushing down on me, and I can't get out from under it. 
And so we're, we're supposed to pray in times of helplessness. This is a time that, the, in this case, they, they call the church to pray by calling the elders of the church as representatives of the church. And you might ask, well, why should it be the elders? Well, we, we are not to be elders if we don't know how to pray. Now, that's scary to say that, to be honest with you, because uh, there's a lot of seasons when I haven't been praying. And, uh, but but we, ha- we are supposed to, when we met, appoint men as elders, we are assured that they are men of prayer. They know how to intercede. They know how to go to God and pray for us. And so this idea here of, of this sickness, this being without strength, body racked in pain, mind disturbed, incapacitated, and inarticulate. So you call for the leaders of the church to come and to pray. It's really fascinating, though, the procedure. First of all, it's the sick person who's supposed to call for the elders. It doesn't go to a healing meeting. These aren't faith healers who hold meetings and heal people. These are elders of a local church. And these elders of the local church are supposed to come and they're supposed to pray for him in a very specific way. They're supposed to anoint him with oil. And this oil isn't holy oil. It's the word for olive oil. And it's simply for this purpose. Anointing there is used in several ways. For example, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when you're fasting, don't forget to anoint your hair with oil, your head with oil, because you don't want to look miserable and so you can get people to feel sorry for you. But you anoint your head, and you keep praying. You keep calling upon the Lord and asking him to do his work. And so the elders are called, and they come to the house, and they lay hands on him, and they anoint him with oil. Why, why anoint him with oil? It's a picture of setting a person apart to God, saying, he is in your hands. And we're here to appeal to you, Father, to take him and heal him and raise him up. And I've seen God do that several times. It's just supernaturally. I'll raise a person up and give them strength and health. Uh, and so these, these elders have a responsibility. Now, here's the kicker. This is what things always scared me to death, is that the prayer of faith will raise them up. The prayer of faith is what the elders feel. That's what they experience. But it's God-given. Have you ever prayed for somebody? You desperately wanted them to be healed, but you didn't have any faith that God was going to do it. And so God's got to give the elders the gift of faith to believe that he's going to heal this person and raise them up. And he says the prayer of faith will cause them to be raised up. So I've been paying attention a lot the last couple of weeks about uh, things that people tell me about what's going on in their lives, about the needs they have. I, this, is, this is one I just heard the other day from Jason Jarvis. Some of you remember him. And what he said to me was, I recently heard about, I recently met a young pastor. He was a, assembly, he was a pastor of a little Assembly of God church up in the, above the Sacramento area. And he says, this young, this young pastor who I had coffee with is going through a great trial and wants me to pray and to ask others to pray for him. Here's what he says. I am in rough shape. I had knee replacement surgery, and three weeks ago today, I had that surgery. Then, after only about a couple of days at home, I began to experience pain from an infection. So I went to the hospital. I ended up going to the hospital twice. I went to the doctor twice. And finally, they said, we're going to have to put you back in the hospital. So they put him back in the hospital, and he says he was there 
a couple days, the second day, on that date, the fire began because this hospital was in paradise. And so he says, the, uh, the nurse, they didn't have any other way to transport me, so she asked me if, if she could take me to the hospital in Chico to get treated. So he gets in her back car. He said, it was the scariest ride I've ever taken in my life. You've seen some of those videos on, on TV about people fleeing paradise. And so she drives him, um, and they took him to the ER, and uh, they treated him as best they could. And then they sent him home, or sent him away, wherever he went, I don't know. But they sent him away with just medicine, so that he, could, he just needs to take this medicine, antibiotics, and so forth. He says, I'm still sick. I'm still hurting. I'm, things are not right. Uh, I'm not well. He says, would you share this with your friends so they would pray for me? And uh, I take that as a challenge to pray for this man, Mike Frog. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him, except he's a pastor of a little church up in Northern California. And he wants his brothers in Christ to pray for him and his sisters in Christ to pray for him. That kind of stuff comes to you all the time. And I believe that what we are commissioned by God to pray for people. We're to pray together. That's what Jude chapter, uh, verse 20 says. That it's in that whole passage, he's telling us how to keep ourselves in the love of God. How can I keep myself in a place where I experience God's love for me? That's what he's talking about. And so part of it, he mentions three things. And they're all plurals. And they're all talking and they're all reciprocal. They're saying, together we do this. Together we build each other up in the most holy faith. I remember as a kid, I, we went to church every week. I was in church all the time. My grandfathers were both pastors. And so I had to be, a, I had to be saved. I inherited this. Uh, and, but I, I can still remember that uh, the, thing, the thing that began to work in my heart was when people talked to me outside of that context. When they began to talk to me seriously about my Christian life, they were discipling me. And they were convincing me that God had his hand upon me and he would bless my life if I would pay attention to him. If I would go to his word and hear it and I would keep his commandments. And they said one of the the chief commandments is that you pray with other believers. Right now, if you were all honest, there'd be a lot of you who would say, I can't pray with other believers. I don't want... I had a guy started in my house fellowship a few years ago, and he said, uh, he came to me after the first time he was there, and he said, I need to ask something. Please don't ever ask me to pray. I am terrified to pray in front of people. Because what had happened in the Bible study, we would pray, and people would pray out. And so he would hear other people pray, and he said, I don't want you ever to call on me, because that would, that's, that would, be, that would scare me to death. So please don't ask me to pray. So I didn't for three weeks. And then when I asked him, he prayed like a believer, he called upon the living God in the name of Christ. And he bore his heart that he really desired God to work in this situation. Well, let me tell you, this is what Jude says that we are supposed to do in order to keep ourselves in the love of God. We are to gather together and together as a group in contact with each other, we are to pray together and lift up these needs and encourage each other as we pray. If you've, never, if you've never prayed with a group like that, where there was intimacy, and when you were aware of what the other person was saying, then you may not know how to encourage them in prayer. You may not know how to simply egg them on, you know, to push them on and say, yes, Lord, do that. We pray that you would do that. 
We pray that you would do exactly what Nancy just prayed for. See, only don't call him Nancy, call him whatever their name is. But, but we, have, we have been commissioned to do this. We're supposed to pray together. And uh, I'm concerned about this because I don't think much praying, as much praying goes on as should go on. I'm so glad for the, the, these, these meetings, these prayer meetings that we have within the life of the church. But this is what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to pray for each other. And so the last time we're supposed to pray, by the way, he mentions, is when there's failure. I know we're all aware we're supposed to confess our sins to God, right? Have you ever confessed to another believer you're struggling with some sin in your life? That's scary, isn't it? Because they may spread it all over. You know, he seems like a nice guy, but you know, this, this is what's going on in his life. No, we, when we come together and we bear our hearts with each other, we're supposed to, what, what we are wanting people to do, would you pray with me? Would you come alongside me and pray with me and encourage me to, to, to walk in obedience to the Father? Will you encourage me by praying with me that I should live a life of obedience to God because I can count on the Holy Spirit in motivating me? If we walk in the Spirit, we will certainly not, absolutely not, that's the way that Greek phrase is there in, in Galatians 5, you will absolutely not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You know what the desires of the flesh are? They're simply selfish desires. They're desires to bless myself first, and maybe only. That's the flesh. I want my needs met. I want my desires fulfilled. But we are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And he says, if you walk in the spirit, you will not carry out the strong desires of the flesh. And so he finally says in in verse 16 that if you've committed sins, he will forgive your sins. And what he's talking about is sins will not keep you from getting an answer from God if you confess your sins. My life's verse is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is the biggest word for doing wrong, for disobeying God. Unrighteousness. And he says, if you confess what you know, he'll forgive you of everything is obvious before God. He knows what's going on. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intentions. He knows your desires. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. I was at a, in a, the last service I was ever in with my in-laws, uh, a church service, the past, their pastor said, every time you, sh- you pray, you should go back and confess every sin you can remember because you might have forgotten to confess it. I say baloney to that. Confess the sins you know. You don't know all your unrighteousness. You're not aware of everything about your life and the way you're living before God that is an offense to him. You're not aware of all that because a lot of stuff seems fine with me. Why should he be bothered by it? Well, he's the God of the universe. And he has a desire for your life. And so, for example, he wants us to gather in prayer. He wants us to be at all times together in prayer and learning how to pray together. I understand that there's a lot of different styles of prayer. I grew up in a church where it was very noisy and loud and boisterous and and, uh, people were very expressive. I don't have any problem with that. Go ahead. But let me tell you, not everybody prays like that. Some people can barely whisper when they pray. 
But if their heart is in tune with God, if they're really approaching the living God, we can pray together. And if somebody is, has a certain style of prayer, you don't have to be offended by it if they're talking to the living God. And so we have a responsibility to gather together in prayer. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to do, I want to do this in our church, is to promote prayer, is I'm going to call or, t- or text or something every one of our house fellowship leaders every week and give them one big need that you can pray about. And so that your house fellowship will begin with this, with us gathering together and joining our hearts and praying to the living God. And one of these days, you may be the person they're praying for. I'm so glad I know people who can pray. We had a, a thing happen a few, well, it was when this happened with Vina. I got on the phone and called three pastors that were friends of mine. And I asked them, would you have your church pray for Vina? And I told her about him, told him about her. And uh, they all prayed. And people in the congregation told me that they prayed. You know, we, we are sitting in a place where we can actually be used by the Spirit of God to call on the name of the Lord and see him answer prayer and raise people up and change their lives. That's what we want to be. He's called us to be ambassadors for Christ, and I think that includes that we need to be a people that, that people say about us, you know, they really pray. If you tell them what your need is, they'll pray for you. They'll, they'll approach God and call upon his name. In the name of Christ, they'll ask that God will deliver you. And I want that to be really true. I want it to be something that we're known for, and I want it to be something that's actually true. Um, uh, Rod here this morning, he's the one that you gave to last week because he was completely, everything he had was destroyed in a fire. So we're going to pray for him because we want God to bring him through this and strengthen him and have a deepened faith in the living God, that God cares about us. And so I'm not going to have you stand or anything. I'm just going to pray for you. <laughs> you can join me. Our Father, uh, we are so grateful that you've brought Rod into our lives and, and uh, for his brother sharing with us what he'd gone through, what he is still going through, Father. We pray that you would manifest your mighty power in his life that would surprise him, that you were a mighty God. And I pray that your hand would be upon him and that you would draw him close to you, that he would walk in faith, that he would see his faith uh, produce good fruit, Father. I just pray that you would... would change his whole circumstances. God, we can't even imagine being in this condition. We can't imagine what it would be like to lose everything we have and to have nothing. And as we look to the future, we're wondering, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? And yet we pray, Father, you would fill his heart with faith and, and hope and expectation. God, and before all these people, I promise you, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to keep asking you for him. And I pray that all of us would, when we gather together to pray, that we would pray for Rod and his wife and his family. You would raise him up, restore his, everything that he has lost, we pray, and more. We pray that you, would be a, uh, that you would manifest to him what he already knows, that you're a great God. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you go to your house fellowship next week and uh, you don't start with prayer, Ask the leader the question. I thought we were supposed to pray. Okay? 
I'm waiting for somebody to say, amen, we're going to do that. Okay. Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Let me close in prayer. Our Father, we're so grateful for the word of God. We thank you that you haven't left us in the dark, but you have communicated your will and your purpose. Sometimes when we think about all that you've called us to, we think, oh, there's no way I could ever, ever achieve that. I could never experience that. And yet, this is why you saved us, to be instruments in your hands. We are grateful to be instruments in the Redeemer's hands and that you want to use us in people's lives. So we pray we'd be a a praying church, that we would learn that we need to gather together and pray together, encouraging each other and lifting up needs that we know about in the name of Christ. So as we go from this place, please fill our hearts with a deep desire, Father, to be used by you uh, in prayer and in being concerned for people. Help us to love people. We just pray that you would fill our hearts with a love for your creation, that you bring us in contact with people every day, and we pray that our hearts would be moved to love them and to intercede for them, to cry out to you for them, Father. We pray. As we go today, we pray we'd be committed to this. Maybe some people today would agree to get together this week and pray and call upon your name. And I I pray that uh, you would build us up in this way. You would encourage us and let us experience the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.